Thank you so much for taking us to such a wonderful place of prayer. Will you pray with me? Wonderful God, we come to you today with our hearts wide open. We come to you today to hear your word. We pray that it will be your spirit that teaches us, that it will be your spirit that illuminates the text and the words and the story. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. When I was four years old, we were living in New Mexico at the time. My dad was working in the coal mines. And we lived in a trailer camp. My sister Charlotte, who is one year and 16 days older than me, was with a group of her friends. And she was standing on top of this little shed. And she and her friends were taunting me because I couldn't climb up. And um, they were saying that I couldn't push them off of the shed. Well, if you know me, you know that I climbed up that shed because they said I couldn't do it. And I pushed my sister off of the shed. And she broke her arm. Yes, it's true. Well, I want to tell you that my panic and terror was biblical in proportion. Like Cain before me, I ran and hid under a neighboring trailer and stayed there for two hours while the search went on for me. But you know, I wanted so much to be found. The weight of what I had done and the need to be held by the one I feared the most, my mother, <laughs> was so overwhelming. To fear someone so deeply and to need someone so deeply. For a four-year-old, that's pretty heavy stuff. But finally, my mom found me. My sister is mad to this day that my mom comforted me and told me it wasn't my fault. <laughs> and I agreed with her. But she cried over me and she held me and she comforted me. And my sister finally forgave me. Here's the good news. We cannot hide from Jesus. Jesus searches for us just like my mother did in that trailer camp. Whether we are shunned by the world or whether we are locked in isolation by actions of our own doing. Jesus will find us. No matter what we may have done, Jesus meets us with compassion and embraces the good that is within us. They see us differently. So as we prepare to commemorate our country's freedom, the great cost of that freedom, it seems very timely to me to turn our attention to the larger story of freedom. Not just freedom from oppression outside of ourselves, but freedom from chains that are really too strong for us to break. This is our scripture lesson for today from Mark 5, 1 through 20. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when he, meaning Jesus, had stepped out of the boat, immediately a man out of the, ran out of the tombs with an unclean spirit and met them. He lived among the tombs and no one could restrain him anymore even with chains. 
for he had often been restrained with shackles and chains, but the chains he wrenched apart and the shackles he broke in pieces, and no one had the strength to subdue him. The writer wants you to know how strong this man was. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always howling and bruising himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and bowed down before him, and then he shouted at the top of his voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he had said to him, Jesus had said to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. So it wasn't, it wasn't the man that was speaking, but it was the unclean spirit. And then Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. He begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now there on the hillside, a great herd of swine was feeding. And the unclean spirits begged him, send us into the swine, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the swine, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned by the sea. The swine herds ran off and told it in the city and in the country. Then people came to see what it was that had happened. They came to Jesus and saw the demoniac sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, the very man who had had the legion, and they were afraid. Those who had seen what had happened to, de to the demoniac and to the swine reported it. Then they began to beg Jesus to leave their neighborhood. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed by demons begged him that he might be with him. But Jesus refused and said to him, Go home to your friends. And tell them how much the Lord has done for you and what mercy he has shown you. And the man went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone, everyone was amazed. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. The word of the Lord. You know, the book of Revelation tells us that there is no sea in the new creation. There is no sea because in the Bible, the sea is a symbol of disorder, a symbol of chaos. The sea is a symbol of non-being. So it's interesting, the placement of this particular story. Previous to this, the story had been of Jesus calming the angry sea. Jesus steps out of the boat from the sea, and at the end of the story, we see the swine race off into the sea, and Jesus steps back into the boat and carries on to the sea. There's a lot of language in here about chaos, disorder, about non-being. Now Jesus disembarks in the country of the Gerasenes, and for the very first time in Mark's gospel, Jesus is in Gentile country in the area of the Decapolis. As Jesus and the disciples emerge from the sea at the beginning of this passage,
they discover a man with an unclean spirit living in an unclean place, the tombs, the place of the dead, in a Gentile and therefore unclean country, a man who could not be chained or restrained, so great was his strength. The writer wants to make two things abundantly clear at this point. Jesus was breaking all the rules by being in this time with this man. Jesus was a Jew. He was meeting an, a Gentile, unclean in spirit, roaming around in the, with the dead in an unclean country. He was breaking all the rules. And he also wants us to know that the power of Jesus is strong enough to overcome even the strongest and most uncontainable. There's nothing in this encounter that is subtle. Nothing. The urgency and the excitement and the panic are very clear as the man runs up to Jesus and, and bows down and then shouts at the top of his lungs, Why? Why am I the object of your attention? Jesus searches for us and knows us and knows the good and the bad and the ugly and the in-between, and still he searches for us. There is nothing we can hide from Jesus. And even if we are successful in hiding it from others and from ourselves, just like that little girl underneath the trailer, we long to be known in the most intimate way, even as we're hiding. We are drawn into his intimacy, into relationship with one another and with God. We long for that kind of connection with others. But we fear finding it because it might mean revealing so much of who we are, revealing ourselves. Well, no longer able to live with those who once loved him, this man now roams among the dead. And in the second story in Genesis, the first thing that Adam does is speak. First thing, when he names the world around him. That is one way that he reflects the image of God about which the very first creation story speaks. But this man in Mark 5, he cannot name anything. He can only howl. He has given his voice over to the demonic power that is within him. When Adam was created, God breathed into him. This man has surrendered his breath. He has surrendered his spirit, the spirit of God in him, and instead is possessed by the spirit of uncleanness. This is a man who has lost all of his humanity. And we see this man as a symbol of the fall of all people. The undoing of creation's design for all human beings that we should speak and create and be a vessel of the spirit of God. The system of ritual cleanness and uncleanness in the Old Testament is really about preserving the ritual access, if you will, to God. You can have access to God if you're clean. You cannot have access to God if you're not clean. 
they must first be rendered clean. There, you have to go through this long process when you, when you have touched something or been in a, a um, developmental stage of something or if you're exhibiting something and, and you're rendered unclean, then you have to go through this ritual process of becoming clean in order to be in God's presence, in order to worship. This man is not only consumed by uncleanness, he is possessed by demons, which means that he is utterly, utterly, and completely alienated from God. He cannot come to worship God. He seemingly cannot even approach God or expect to hear from God. Nevertheless, this is the man that Jesus approaches. This is the man that Jesus has the first interaction with in Gentile country. Here Jesus demonstrates both that the man is certainly not beyond God's reach, even though the writers made it very clear the man is beyond anybody's reach, and that Jesus himself cannot be polluted or harmed or lessened by his uncleanness. And in this in this story, we are confronted with the classical doctrine of divine impassibility. That's impassibility. And what that means is that we cannot harm God. I know that sounds so counterintuitive to our understanding that we crucified as human beings Jesus Christ. But Jesus was raised from the dead and could not be contained. That's divine impassibility. Jesus can take whatever uncleanness is there. Jesus can encounter any bad or demonic spirit, both to bear it and to banish it, and be unchanged himself. And this is what Jesus does in this story. Jesus sends the unclean spirits into the unclean animals, and then they thunder into the watery chaos, if you remember. The chaos and the disorder, they thunder into it and die. In the very sea that he has just mastered, because in the previous story, he calms the sea. But even then, it's strange because Jesus sees the demons with a measure of mercy and compassion, it seems, for the second time, legion asks for mercy. Don't banish us. This legion spirit recognizes that the spirit, the evil spirit cannot live on its own, but it has to feed off of something that's living, something that's open, something that is willing to feed it. Let us enter into the herd of swine, Acknowledging Jesus' power, Legion asks, send us there. And in doing that, acknowledges that every act of surrender requires our will. Jesus gives them permission. Healing from what binds us requires both acknowledging God's power to save us and surrendering what holds us. We become partners with God in this. God does not yank or jerk or rip away. 
it's interesting that this man can't be contained because when somebody can't be held back, when, when somebody is uncontainable, it seems like they are the most free person in the world, doesn't it? If, if they can do anything they want, then aren't they the most free person imaginable? But the inability to be confined in this story shows us that he is, in fact, enslaved and not free at all. How is that possible? The gift that Jesus gives to this man, gives back to him, restores him to his humanity. It restores him to his right mind. It allows him once again to make choices, to seek, to discover, to create, to love, to laugh and cry and have wonder, to hold somebody's hand, to kiss their cheek, to feel tenderness, to contribute, to make a difference. None of those things, anything can provide for us. All of those things are the things we treasure the most. They mean the most to us. They can only come from one place. And that is the author of all life. The author of the one who desires for us to live in the freedom, that freedom. The healed man wants to follow Jesus, but Jesus has something else in mind. Jesus tells the man, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and what mercy he has shown you. It's interesting, Jesus tells this to many people through Scripture. Some did it, some didn't. But all we know is that he sent out to be a voice for God in a surrounding Greek cities, in these Gentile cities. And then we know that by the beginning of Mark 8, this is chapter 5 of Mark, by the beginning of chapter 8 of Mark, at the beginning of the Gentile outreach, when Jesus comes back to the Decapolis, there are 4,000 people gathered to greet him there. 4,000. And I wonder, is it too much to imagine that this man who ran naked through graveyards, who only way of speaking was to howl at the moon and to tear his own skin, is it too much to imagine that this man who had received the merciful healing of Jesus Christ would have spent his days preaching and witnessing and sharing with anyone who would listen, with anyone who had a moment, what Jesus had done for him, is that too much beyond our imagination? This once broken and now healed man is the mustard seed of faith that's been sown out into the world. Do you really think that there is anyone, anyone beyond the reach of Jesus. Let's pray. We thank you, God, for your great love for us. We thank you that we are never beyond your reach, that you have loved us so deeply and so completely that you will seek us relentlessly, even as we fear you and even as you, we want you so desperately. We pray these things in your name. Amen.